0: You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Today we'll be discussing crown and bridge cementation and what to look for in a crown and bridge cement. Our guest is Dr. Farood Hakim, a nationally recognized educator with a broad range of engaging topics from high tech to composite dentistry. His passion for restorative dentistry and education has been clearly demonstrated through his private practice and his teaching position at the University of the Pacific. Dr. Hakeem, it's a pleasure to have you back on Dental Talk. It's great to be here, Phil. Thank you. So this is a pretty important topic, as I say on many podcasts. This particular one is titled, Let the Cement Work for You. So before we get too deep into the details, what's the most important features in your opinion for a crown and bridge cement?
1: Great question, Phil. Uh, I'll probably put them in two categories. One is the must uh, haves, the, the non negotiables, and then there's the nice to have features, which are not absolute, but they're great if they accompany the cement. In the must have category, I would say first and foremost, the cement has to provide adequate retention to keep a restoration on long term. Um, secondarily, the long term stability or the chemical integrity of the cement has to be good. In other words, it can't be soluble and wash out. The cement needs radiopacity, so it can be detected on uh, radiographs. It's got to have the right film thickness so you can see to restoration. doesn't inhibit fully seeding a restoration. And, of course, the durability that we want so that it has the appropriate compressive strength. So those, you know, if cement doesn't do those things, it's not going to work. In the nice-to-haves category, you know, I would want a cement that's very user-friendly, meaning it's easy to deliver, you know, whether it's through a compule or a syringe, that it's easy to clean up that perhaps the restorations don't need a lot of pretreatment um, and fancy preparation, that ideally it either reduces significantly or hopefully completely eliminates post-operative sensitivity, that it's tissue friendly, so the adjacent, you know, gingival biology is not uh, insulted in any way. And it's always great if there's, you know, this is a catch term these days, bioactivity. It's great if there's bioactivity and maybe some anti-karyogenic effect. And that it can be used across a wide variety of uh, circumstances across different substrates, different types of crown and bridge material. So those are the. That's how I would sum up the the must haves and the nice to haves.
0: So you did mention fighting off decay or secondary decay would be the case with a crown. How can crown and bridge cement help fight off secondary decay?
1: Yeah, great. I think um, there's really just two main circumstances where caries can reoccur. Uh, in an otherwise healthy, delivered crown and bridge restoration. It's one thing if we didn't do our job and didn't clean off all the decay to start with. But assuming everything starts with a clean slate, one of the things that could happen is you can have cement washout. In other words, you'll have gap formation, and that allows bacterial ingress underneath and inside of a preparation where obviously it's not cleansable, toothbrush can't get to it, we can't keep it clean, uh, we can't put Florida data toothpaste against it. So that that's a bad thing. And certainly uh, proliferation of acidic environment. We know that decay happens in an acidic environment. So it follows that if a cement sustains long-term integrity, the molecular construct doesn't wash it out in the environment, that it delivers some kind of a beneficial chemistry to the tooth while it's there. The way that I explain this to my patients is, hey, this given cement provides tooth vitamins to your tooth. It might be things like fluoride or calcium aluminate, all the things that we know help promote a healthier environment, a cement that maybe pushes a neutral or a basic pH rather than an acidic pH that can be important. And then, you know, above all, one of the things we're going to talk about today, there's an actually cement out on the market that can precipitate appetite formation, which means that it can actually grow tooth and restoration together and forge gap closure, which is pretty unique.
0: What's the mechanism for that? And what is that cement?
1: Yeah. So the cement in particular we're talking about uh, is Ceramere. It's a uh, cement made by Doxa. And the way it works, because of its kind of fluoride and calcium aluminate bioceramic technology, it actually forms a crystalline appetite while it sits against the tooth and the restoration. Certainly Ceramere has a lot of internal data, but the great thing about companies that are forthright with this is they allow external evaluation. And so there's university-based research showing that this phenomena actually happens where there's appetite forming. And in essence, they're showing an SEM slide with a gap where the cement space is actually shrinking and appetite reducing that space. So so for in layman's terms, we're kind of growing the restoration to the tooth, which is unheard of with cements.
0: Is this the only cement available that offers this advantage?
1: It's the only one that I know of that does this.
0: You've been using this cement for how long in your practice
1: Uh, going on seven years now
0: are you seeing the benefit from this kind of appetite creation that you just described
1: absolutely it's it's one of my go to cements now I will tell you that there are plenty of times where I need a more tenacious kind of adhesion and these are partial veneer you know aesthetic veneer preps inlays onlays, things that don't have a lot of natural retention or with restorations that need reinforcement through a bonding mechanism, weaker ceramics. In those cases, nothing's going to replace a bonded resin cement. But in all of the routine crown and bridge indications where we have reasonable retention and resistance form and just need a cement that is durable, that holds up long term, basically Ceramere has become my go-to. And I have routinely used it now for, like I said, going on seven years.
0: So what percentage do you think of your routine crown and bridge cases do you use Ceramere versus resin-bonded cement?
1: Yeah, um, that's probably going to be a different answer depending on the demographics of any doctor's practice. One that lives in the aesthetic zone, and they're a quote-unquote cosmetic dentist that basically only delivers veneers, and they may be bonding feldspathics, Emacs, um, Empress, all these things that need some reinforcement and retention, they're going to live in the bonded resin cement world. But the typical practice, which dabbles in some of that, but delivers a lot of bread and butter, posterior crown and bridge, can really benefit from a cement like this. And so that enters the world of zirconia. Zirconia is everywhere now. It dominates the crown and bridge market depending on, you know, the data you read from big commercial labs. That's the majority of the restorations they make. And those have really replaced the PFMs and the gold restorations of yesteryear. It's the main go-to restoration in practice. And something like ceramir not only works with the traditional metal-based crown and bridge, but it works great with the zirconia world, which is everywhere now.
0: So just out of curiosity, maybe it's a little bit off the topic, why is zirconia so popular with anterior teeth where you don't have the need for that super strength?
1: So zirconia started to move more towards the front of the mouth and the aesthetic zone as the different iterations of zirconia were developed. So at first it was a rather opacious material. It was basically made as your bulletproof crown to support uh, first and second molars, especially when we go back, you know, when the subprime market collapsed in 2008 and 9, metal prices skyrocketed and doctors were paying $350, $400 for a simple gold or PFM crown. Now suddenly something's aesthetic. It doesn't have that metallic band at the margin. It looks good and it holds up, doesn't need a lot of retention. And so it's substituted in the posterior portion of the mouth at a reduced cost with really good outcomes. As the manufacturers develop newer zirconias with uh, modifications in the yttria content and the translucency, they've been able to layer the zirconia and or make it much more elegant looking. And so now it's migrated into the aesthetic zone. The benefit of zirconia in the aesthetic zone is you don't have to bond. Bonding is kind of a circus trying to isolate, get the dentin under control, any heme that might be there under control, perfect tissue health. It's a lot of complex procedures. And so if you have the luxury of being able to just squirt a cement in and loot the traditional way, and you have something that looks nice now suddenly zirconia has become a more universal material
0: so tell us about the technique using ceramir are we mixing things or how does how does it uh, how is it cured and everything else
1: yeah it's very simple it's basically a uh, trituratable compule it's got the typical push button you put it on the counter with your thumb if you have strong thumbs you compress it down and so the two components of the liquid and the powder activate you put it in the triturator for a prescribed period of time, depending on the model of the triturator you have. And lo and behold, you'll put it on the applicator gun. It's ready to go in six to eight seconds. You load it. There's plenty in a given compule for a single restoration, no matter how big it is. And often um, you can fill two small restorations. Deliver it to the tooth with really no pre preparation. The tooth just, just needs to be clean and not desiccated and not soaking wet. Just, you know. Almost dry to a little bit of glisten to it. Have the patient bite down, hold it in place, wait for it to start to set. And like all cements, when it starts to reach a critical gel point where you can safely start to gently remove the cement, we'll do that. And then more aggressive um, kind of scaling and flossing will happen once the cement's gone through its complete set.
0: Yeah, perfectly said. So the only issue I see for some dentists is not having a triturator, right? Because that kind of went away with amalgam. Is that an issue for some dentists not having a triturator?
1: It could be, and I fell into that camp because I hadn't used amalgams in two decades, and I'm a big composite and aesthetic rehab guy. And so I wasn't using a ton of GIs or MGiS for my direct restorations. Um, I wasn't doing a lot of uh, field dentistry or high at-risk populations where I needed things like GI to be a significant portion of my practice, yeah, I would pull it out once in a while. So my triturator, I had one in a five-operatory practice, and it was sitting in a drawer somewhere. Mm -hmm. Once I started to learn about the benefits of Ceramere, I said, okay, this is the real deal. It's time to take that out of the drawer, blow the dust off of it, and do it. So is there the potential to put Ceramere in a syringe? There certainly is, but the companies investigated this and they realized that the quality, of the chemistry, and the mix and the stability goes down if it's in a paste paste kind of dual mix syringe. They want, really want to keep the, um, the chemistry as optimal as possible and as stable as possible. So they found that a compule that you can triturate powder and liquid works better. And so at the end of the day, I think it's a small, relatively small inconvenience for somebody to just track down a triturator and use the cement because it has so many advantages.
0: Yeah, and that's, there's no question about that. So, yeah, and I think you can get a triturator on eBay. So how is the patient experience compared to the cements you've used before you started using Ceramere? You talked about retention. Are the crowns staying in? Are you getting some issues where you're getting patients come back with loose crowns?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, like I said, I've been using it for the better part of seven years. We have hundreds of crowns in service in patients' mouths with Ceramere. I honestly can't remember the last time I had a crown come off that I used Ceramere to, you know, to deliver. Now, I like to think I have reasonable preps with good retention and resistance form. And I'm willing to go to the bonded resin cement option for those retention challenge cases. So I think I hedge my bet in my favor. And, you know, no matter how good a cement is, you can never substitute good judgment on the practitioner's side on choosing the right cement. But um, I've yet to remove a Ceramere cemented crown for recurrent decay. So that's telling. And remember, this is going on seven years. Another thing to consider is that the evidence says that about 10% of teeth that undergo crown and bridge treatment wind up with a pulpal condition needing endodontic therapies. I can count two or cemented cases that have gone the route of endo in my practice, and that's after hundreds. So that's certainly anecdotal from my experience, but that's far, far lower than the 10% that's reported in the literature.
0: Yeah, no. For so sure. longevity, that,
1: survival—that's great.
0: Yeah, that that has probably something to do with the deposition of the the appetite Certainly that so. you talked about. Um, not great for endodontists, but it's great for the patient. <laughs> so um, the last thing I want to ask you before we wrap up this podcast is: Ceramere also has an implant cement. Is there anything that you want to mention about that?
1: Yeah. So Ceramir has come up with their implant version. It's essentially you know the same chemical compounds that their traditional crown and bridge cement is made from. And me and you actually did a podcast on this about a year ago. So that's going to be somewhere in the archives. Right. But it's worth re-mentioning because Ceramere has got such good biocompatibility, not just bioavailability for repairing of tooth, but such low cytotoxicity and um, an inflammatory effect against the tissue that's essentially non-existent. So one of the big topics these days with cement retained implant crowns is cement extrusion, especially with the resin cements, we know what can happen with the uh, the coronal threads and the bone loss and the, the kind of the really bad sequelae that come from that. We're never advocating leaving cement and not getting all of it after an implant delivery. But inevitably, there are spicules that are missed. If I'm going to leave a little cement, not on purpose, but on accident, I'm going to want it to be Ceramere over a resin-based cement because it just sets up the case for having far less of a chance of something going south with an implant.
0: Dr. Hakeem, that was excellent information. If you'd like more information on Ceramere, you can visit their website at cerameredental.com. Again, Dr. Hakeem, thank you very much for your time and hope to see you on another podcast or webinar soon.
1: Always great fun spending time with you, Phil. Thank you.